0: All right. Well, good morning to everyone, and uh, it is so good to uh, sing and worship together. Uh, and uh, man, there's a lot of fun things happening this month. And as Pastor Sam mentioned, our uh, membership um, classes today. And so, if you if you weren't able to take that yet, um, we would love for you to consider that and uh, join us as a member. And um, also, just uh, uh, the the outreach that's happening with our 6-8 initiative that's coming up and also our pumpkin party where we have some fun and get to invite our neighbors and uh, the kids get to dress up and and all that good stuff here. So a lot of things in October. Make sure you write that down. And as Pastor Sam mentioned, download the app. It'll help you to kind of just keep track of different things. And we have our sermons up there and things you could listen to on your drive to work or whatnot. And um, so, just make sure you uh, do that. That would be, uh, that'll keep us all connected. You know, today we look at this idea of contentment as we've been talking about this now for three weeks in. And we talked about the woman at the well and the contentment she needs. Um, talked about the Apostle Paul and telling us he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him, even if he has nothing or he has everything. That circumstances won't um, hinder his contentment. And today we see. Um, two things that really kill contentment in all of us. And two negative things we have to be so very careful for. The Bible tells us to beware of it, to kill it. Right? Those are serious words. And the two things that we think, uh, are going to talk about today is complaining and comparing. The sin of complaining and comparing. Sometimes we, do not, we don't think of these two things as a sin or something that is detrimental to us. We just think of something that uh, we do. There was a study that said that uh, women use complaining to bond, whereas men use complaining to kind of boost their own ego. So women will complain, oh, complain about their home, complain about their husband, but it's kind of their way of saying let's bond together through our hardships. Whereas men will complain, but they use it to now boost their ego. Man, I had to, you know, you know. Put the new roof on my house all by myself. I rebuilt this engine all by myself. It's kind of a complaint, but it's a kind of a humble brag in a way. Uh, but we, it's all around us. And we have to guard ourselves against this. Or what happens is our contentment will be now sinking. And all of a sudden we become people who are old and grumpy. But we as Christians ought to be the most content people here on earth. And the two things that the Bible mentions that I think we have to be so very careful about is this idea of coveting and complaining or grumbling, right? And so we're going to just look at that, those two today here together. Um, coveting. Coveting kills our contentment. The passage we read, Exodus 20, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his donkey, or his, uh, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So it's talking about their possessions, things that they have. And you shall not covet. It makes the Ten Commandments. It's interesting. You know, there's serious. Uh, commands about murder and adultery and stealing and lying, but then coveting, wishing I had what they had, wishing I lived where they lived, wishing I drove what they drove, right? This uh, wishing I had employees and a company in a position like they had. And this is what, what those things are talking about, right? Male servant, female servant, ox is donkey. You know, ox was now what's used in the farms. And it's his equipment or it's his manpower in a way. Uh, donkey is his mode of transportation, right? And, oh, man, I wish I had a donkey like that, right? The new donkey, the younger donkey, donkey that, you know, is faster. Mine is only, uh, you know, a half horsepower. That one's a full whatever, right? Um, Someone, you got that. All right, so. Um, but this is dealing with this interesting. Out of all the Ten Commandments, this is dealing with a sin that is on the inside, Everything is obvious. Everything is out front. Everything you do, you know if you did it. I know if I lied. I know if I committed adultery. I know if I murdered someone. But here, no one knows. It's something that happens inside. And unless I let someone know, nobody knows. Coveting. It starts with the eyes. Um, It is, and it leads to our hearts, and it changes the way we behave. It's interesting, you know. I think uh, we often have a lot of things to covet. Um, There are opportunities to covet. I, you know, one of the the, um, experiences where I end up coveting, and it's made this way, I think, is when you get on a plane, right? And if you're not in business class or first class, it's it's all kind of designed to make you covet all these people. So, okay, at this time, we like to introduce our. You know, all star members, our business class people, and they get to stand. And they literally put a line. They stand on this side. It's like the good line. And then you have the, the majority of us are hanging out in the back, you know, and they go in. They get to be seated first so that you could see who is sitting there and the faces of those who are sitting there. And then after, it's like, okay, and then all of you in zone X, Y, and Z, just hurry up and come on in, you know. and We might not have room for you or your bags. Just Just come on in. And you get in there. And what happens? You get in. You have to walk right in the middle of that section. And all these people are drinking their champagne and sitting there and got their fancy headphones on. And you're going, oh my gosh, you know, you're, you're so, pardon me. I'm so sorry. And they, they, they close the curtain. You can't even look. But it's made out of sheer, so you could actually see. They're doing something fun over there. They're like, wow, they have different food over there. Um, they look so comfortable over there. But you can't use that bathroom. Get in the back, right? I remember. Um, the One time I got upgraded, right? Um, this was like 16 years ago. I was going to a conference at Atlanta, I remember, and uh, it was uh, with a couple other pastors. We went to Atlanta on the way back, and we went through the whole covenanting experience, you know, going there. And then on the way back, we were assigned to the last row next to the restroom, you know, our head was against the restroom, the three of us, and I. I just out of desperation, I said, you know, do you think you could, you know, give this poor pastor an upgrade, you know? And, and I didn't. I didn't mention I was a pastor. I didn't use that pastor card. But I said, like, is it possible to get an upgrade? And the, I, I'm just asking. I don't want to bother you. I can't afford to pay for that. And the lady looked at me. She goes, "Boy, you're sure asking a lot." And in her southern accent, and she goes, "Here," and she gives me my ticket, row one, seat B. I was like, "Oh Lord," you know. And it was the best. Like, this was better than the whole conference. Like, thank you, God. <laughs> And um, I was so excited. I didn't tell the two guys I was with. And so I, I got to cut in line because I had a, a, a business class seat. They had a separate line. So I went through security. And they're, like, calling me and texting me. Where are you? Where are you? Hey, we're in line. Line's kind of long. I said, uh, don't worry, I already got in somehow. They're like, what? And then I, by the time I'm seated, they're still in line. So then they're like, we don't see you. They're going to call us up. And then they get called up last. And the uh, flight attendant said, what kind of snacks would you like? I said, give me, give me one of everything. And I laid it out. <laughs> I laid it out on the front seat. I'm not even exaggerating the story. I laid it all out. Chips and nuts and this and pretzels. And I laid it all out. And I had the a bag of chips open. And they're walking in last. Because they're, they're like, what? What? What'd you do? What happened? What happened? Hey, you got to go. All right. Go, 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 go. You know, you got to go. And I was so grateful, right? And I was... <laughs> And I was thinking, thank you, God, for making me an instrument to teach them about contentment and coveting. Lord, use me. Lord, here am I, right? And he only called me once to do that because he knew my heart, right? Um, Coveting. I wish I could sit there. I wish I could be eating what they're eating, drinking what they're drinking. I wish I could have that. And our hearts wander so quickly. And coveting says, I look over there, I don't look here. Coveting says the grass is greener on the other side, not what I have. And sometimes we forget the the greatest blessings we already have in Christ. We forget that, and we start looking. God knows the tendency of people, and so he puts this on the Ten Commandments. He tells the Israelites, I know your tendencies. I know you're going to want to hoard, you're going to want to gather, you're going to compare yourself. And boy you know what, let me put this here. You shall not covet these things. The Bible says so much about, these, about this idea of coveting, you know. Uh, coveting is foolish because you, you, this greed, you cannot have enough. Ecclesiastes 5.11, it says this, um, you know, he who loves money, right? When goods increase, they increase with them, and what advantage is the owner but to see them and buy them? Like, he doesn't get enough of it, right? Uh, Luke 12.15 Uh, Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. It's interesting, right? In the ESV there, it translates it repetitively. Take care and be on your guard. In the original language, there's two different warnings in that one warning. So it wasn't enough for Jesus to tell us, hey, just take care or just be on your guard. He says, hey, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Covetousness. All of it. Coveting for your kids, coveting for yourself, coveting for the money, coveting for the house, coveting for their looks or their youth or their boy, their where they're seated on the airplane. All of it, be on your guard. It tells us twice. First, it says to take care. Literally means to look around. Don't be blind to this. Be observant. It literally means to be aware, to check yourself regularly. What are you thinking? What are you wishing? What are you always looking at at the end of the day? What are you dreaming about? What are you looking at? Look at yourself. What do you catch yourself saying when you say, oh, I wish I had. Gosh. You see their post. Oh, man, I, I wish I could. Just watch those things. Watch yourself. The secondly is. It says to be on your guard. It's such a great translation. To prevent, to plan, to prevent. When you are on guard, you're not going to fight it. You're now you have plans to prevent it. Some of you, you have alarms on your houses or alarms on your, um, you know, on your cars. Even your smartphones, you have you know things to now now guard it from others. He says, now set up things in life and guard your life against these things. When you catch yourself saying these things, when you catch yourself now saying, I wish, hey, guard yourself against these things. Be on your guard. Uh, Prevent it. It is so serious that Paul says in Colossians 3, 5, that we have to put it to death. Right? Colossians 3.5 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put it to death. So don't let it just linger around. Don't let it be a part of your personality. Don't let it now go into your children's habits. Don't let them learn from you. Don't let your coworkers be affected by the things you are wishing for. Don't fill your hearts with all the things that you don't have and you wish for. Be grateful for the things that you already have from God. It is so easy. Right? Don't we do this sometimes? You know, they tell you on the news, boy, the jackpot, this, you know, mega million is 600, you know, whatever, million dollars or a billion dollars. And you have that conversation. Hey, what would you do if you won that? Right? I have that conversation with people. Uh, I get a big. I, I've heard someone recently tell me, I, I would, first I would buy, buy us a church, buy a crossway church, and then I would do you know X, Y, and Z." And I would like, "Oh, that's very nice. I hope you. I hope you win, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be praying for you. Um, what kind of church? You know, we're we gonna have PowerPoint there, and you know, is the pulpit gonna be nice? What are what, you gonna buy?" Um, but we, he says, to put it to death. So don't let it even enter your thoughts or your minds. Some of us have learned this from our parents. Some of us learned it from our friends. It's become such a habit, and we always talk about things we wish. We're always looking at others. Their Instagram posts, oh man. They ate there last night. Jeez, you know, man, is, you know, I ate Costco last night. And they ate there. Wow. They, they're going here? Oh my gosh, look how nice their wedding is. Oh wow. Um, put it to death. Um, the second part, right? So somehow, if we could control our hearts and fill it with gratitude and thanking God, um, it'll impact us. So what happens is we covet in our hearts, and the outcome or the fruit of it is now it comes out in grumbling or complaining. Now here's a sin that we think is not too serious. We think it's, uh, it's acceptable sins, if we could say. But it is a sin. Uh, the passage we read in Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Okay, what things? All things. It encompasses everything. Grumbling or disputing. It's interesting because I think that grumbling will lead to disputing. The outcome of the coveting that we have and we practice will lead to now grumbling. And the more we grumble, it'll lead to disputing with others. You think about the grumbling that we have. And it's interesting because he's saying Paul's argument is you shine as lights in the world, right? In verse 15, you are an example to the world. You are a Christian at your workplace. They know you're a Christian. Man, your neighbors know you're a Christian. They know you go to church on Sunday. And you're the, if you are grumbling and disputing, And if you are complaining, how can you be a light to this world around you? And so we have to kill off this grumbling. Uh, The word grumble, in the original language, grumble, it's an onomatopoeia. It's the word gagusmus, gagusmus. It means to grumble, right? It's a word that sounds like what it's describing, like crackle or boom. Gagusmus, gagusmus. That's what they said it sounded like. It's something under your breath. It's something we say behind someone's back, oh, geez, I mean, right? And boy, sometimes the older we get, I catch it in myself. You know, these kids. Oh my gosh, right? Back in the day, you know, I had to go to school uphill and back home uphill in the snow. I mean, you know, like we start grumbling, right? And I. Didn't have internet back in the day. Didn't have Google, you know. And, and I'm grumbling to my kids. When Ashley is asking me for help in Algebra 2, because I don't know how to do it, I grumble to her. You have Google. Come on, just, you know. Khan Academy. Just be, I didn't, daddy didn't have any of that, you know. And uh, I didn't have an iPhone back then. Like, well, are you going to help me or not? <laughs> I refuse, because I can't anymore. Right? I, I confess, I can't. Um, grumbling. The same word, uh, this word grumbling, goosemus, this word is used in John 17. There was much muttering. That's another translation. No one likes to hear a group of people muttering, grumbling. Right? You could feel it black friday you go you dare to go into target and the boy they have five tvs for sale and a thousand people didn't get in. It. it's grumbling right you know you get to a line, and you could just feel it the grumbling that's there the same word is used in first peter four nine it says show hospitality to one another without grumbling because people were grumbling oh yeah come on over hey, yeah yeah oh hey, let me take you out for a meal jeez i gotta pray again jeez you know like the grumbling. Oh, my gosh, I bought him last time. I don't even remember. Oh, he even ordered dessert. Can you believe that? He didn't even clean his room. I just slept in my No, oh, no, nothing. It's something we do behind someone's back. It's interesting. You know, John Orpberg talks about this, and he, 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 he takes the two words. He says, grumbling is a sin, but groaning in the Bible is permissible. Groaning is something we do to someone. We do it to their face. We're groaning before God. So you are allowed to groan. You read the Psalms and there is groaning and complaints, but it's to God in his face. God, help me. God, this is hard. God, I, I don't know if I could handle this. God, And this is us. It's okay. But grumbling is done behind his back. It's about him. We don't even realize, but often it'll lead. It's about God. When we start grumbling about life, we start grumbling about our jobs. The job you prayed for to get, and after a year you say, God, I, oh, gosh, this job is horrible. Who are we ultimately grumbling to? The one who gave these things to us. Uh, grumbling about the things that we have and the people in our lives. You know, uh, complaining and grumbling, it is contagious. You ever been around someone that's a complainer, a constant complainer? You Get yourself complaining with them, right? There was a study done. They put two people together. They had them sit face to face for five minutes. They didn't know each other, five minutes. And then um, they weren't to talk to each other. They would just sit together and look at each other for five minutes. And what would happen is one person came in um, angry or depressed. And just sitting with that person, the other person, after five minutes, when they evaluated their feelings, they said, I feel kind of crummy myself we end up picking up cues from human beings even if they don't tell us. Just by looking at their face, we can tell, right? We know uh, when someone is grumbling about something. Uh, There was a study done on how even hearing complaining, listening to complaining, it literally gives us some form of brain damage, right? Robert Sapolsky, professor of neurology at Stanford, did this study in 2016 and So when I was looking at, I kind of Googled the study, how how does it impact us? So many different articles all quoted back to this study in 2016. And he gets very technical, obviously, but he talks about the effect of stress on the hippocampus, the little part of the brain in the middle that kind of connects everything together. And he says, if it is very highly sensitive, and this is a few of the conclusions, right? It's sensitive to negative stimuli. So Dr. Sapolsky had said that even listening to someone, let's say for 30 minutes just venting, it affects that part of the brain. It uh, elevates cortisol levels, hampers the synaptic connection, speeds up cell death, and it will even cause the hippocampus part of your brain to start shrinking. Somebody got that's what happened, right? That's what's going on. And he concludes, and I quote, it declines declines in cognitive function, including the ability to retain information and adapt to new situations. It literally causes brain damage when you even hear someone, someone else. So complaining is kind of like smoking. It's not just the smoker that's getting affected; It's now the secondhand complaining. Right, we should have a rule. All complainers outside, near the trash, we'll, we'll put a little circle on the ground. You have to stand inside and look at each other. Oh, this weather's too hot. Oh, it's too cold. Sermon's too long. It's too short. Right, that's all. The music's too loud. No, it's not loud enough. Right, and just, just go complain together. Just go all complain. So we don't have to take in the second half complaining. Right, I mean, wouldn't that be so so ideal? But it's all around us. You know, we're kind of in this age of complaining um, with reviews everywhere. Reviews, there are reviews on everything. You can Google a review on anything and anyone. Doctors get reviewed, teachers get reviewed, restaurants get reviewed, uh, your Uber driver gets reviewed. Everyone, we review everything. And it gives us now uh, the idea of complaining and grumbling becomes very legitimate. You know, I was. I remember about a year ago, we were at one of our favorite sushi restaurants out in Hacienda Heights. We go there, and the parking lot's empty. This place is always packed. You, can, you can't even get a seat. And uh, it was empty. And I went in and said, like, oh, that's kind of weird. Because I had made a reservation, and I went to the restaurant, and there was no one there. I go, a reservation for Steve? And I go, oh, yeah, we got your table. You know, anywhere you want, right? And so we sit. This oh, that's interesting. So I look up on Yelp and, you know, and all these... 20, 19 year olds are telling us what's wrong with the restaurant, right? But they're, oh, it's bad. You know, the owners change, the owners change. It's all bad. The owners change. And you know, I was affected by that. The food came out, and I was like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> the owner changed it. You know, like they, they cut it different, all right? I remember eating it and, and I remember telling you, I go, man, I hope we don't get sick, right? The owner changed it. Someone, it, it it was perfectly fine. But mentally, for some reason, I haven't gone back since because everyone says, grumbling. So I "I don't want to go back. Uh, The same thing is happening. This grumbling and complaining is happening uh, with the Israelites when they come out of slavery, the oppression of Egypt. Now, you think about this. You are now being oppressed as a people, mistreated, God in his glory now saves you, and you are free. And the first thing that they do is they forget what's behind. They start complaining. We know the story so well. They start grumbling. In Exodus 16, they grumbled against Moses, verse 2, and Aaron in the wilderness. They start complaining. They complain about the water. So God made it sweet for them to drink. They complain about the food. God gives them manna. They would say, we want meat. God gives them quail. They have all the food and everything that they need, and God is there, and they're just complaining, complaining, complaining. And ultimately, it tells us they were complaining not against just Moses and Aaron. They're complaining against God. And it's interesting, at the end of that, right, as they're complaining about all these things, God makes them do something. And he says, hey, um, it says in Exodus sixteen thirty-three, right? And this is what Moses said to Aaron. Take a jar, put an omer or an X amount of manna in it. Manna was the uh, heavenly bread. Place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. This was to be kept throughout the generations. This was to be now a symbol of God's provision. This was a tangible reminder that they would see and they would remember the next time they say, "Gosh, I'm hungry, I want to go back. These people wanted to go back into Egypt. And this complaining spread, you could imagine. It starts with one person. Oh, gosh, it was better there, wasn't it? The weather was better there. We're in the wilderness. I'm getting bug bites here. I don't have enough. They're complaining, and it's now contagious. It's spreading. It's like secondhand smoke, and it's spreading. And it says in Exodus 16 that the whole nation now is complaining. Can you imagine? Many of you, you're in a position where you have to hear complaints from people. You're in charge of something. Some of them, are like, I don't like this, I don't like that. Can you imagine a nation of people complaining? From the grandmas, the grandpas, even to the little kids, and they're complaining. Yeah, Moses, right? What is this? I want to go back. And the complaining happens. He says, No, gather this. And they kept it with them, this bread from heaven. And it was a tangible reminder to remember what God had given. And, you know, it points to the living, the bread of life, Jesus Christ, who he talks about. He points to the bread that satisfies. And then he tells us the disciples. He tells the disciples to take this in remembrance. Remember that? He gives out the bread. Take it in remembrance. We need to tangibly come to remember, and we're going to take communion today. And it helps us to remember, oh gosh, yeah, when it comes to eternal life, when it comes to my guilt and my salvation, when it comes to the security of making it to heaven, he gave me everything. And all the other things I have, he has given to me. Who am I to complain Why am I griping about this? Why am I coveting things I don't have when I already have everything in Christ? And it's a tangible reminder. And so we gather, the church gathers for the sacrament of baptism, the sacrament of communion. And he says, make sure, man, you take it, you feel it, you put it in your mouth, you could taste it, you drink it, you smell it and you could feel the taste of it and may that be a reminder of the body that was broken the blood that was shed how do we kill how do we kill coveting and complaining we go back to the cross there's no other techniques there's no psychological tricks we come back to the cross And we remember the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. We come in and we sing the songs and we read the scriptures and we hear about him again as we gather corporately and we take this today. This is not just something we go through the motions of. We take this. God dispenses his grace to us as we remember him through this. And we walk away saying, God, I am satisfied in you bread of life fills me. I desire nothing else but to be with you. Give me a vision of you that I could desire in this way. And all of a sudden our complaints turns into praises and thanksgiving. May we be a people who are content and may we guard against these things that kill the contentment that we have in Christ. Let's pray together. So, Lord, today, uh, we thank you for the word, and we take a moment to remember you. Uh, So, we want to desire you. We want to be satisfied, ultimately, in you. You've given it to us, and God, we, like the Israelites, we we look back, we look around, and we grumble. Lord, forgive our sins for that. You've given us so much. So, God, uh, we want to love you from our hearts we want it to manifest in the praises and the prayers that we say. May we always start with thanksgiving to you. Uh, So, Lord, uh, we ask your blessing upon us. Help us live that way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve, for the word.